we're in the business of people. Every business is in the business of people. And the more you understand what they want, need, believe, that's how you're able to build the most effective products, programs, technologies. We have to do the same thing with people. Hello and welcome to Shopify Masters, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Adam Levinter. Are you facing uncertainty in your career? Maybe you're unfulfilled with where you are now or you're struggling to make your work-life balance suit your needs. These were the very issues that caused Connie Steele to step down from her role as a marketing executive after working nearly 15 years in the corporate sector. She was fed up with her lifestyle and knew it wasn't sustainable for her or for her family. So Connie launched into private consulting for both one-on-one clients and companies who were looking to better understand the future of work. In her debut book, Building the Business of You, Connie shares trends and tips so entrepreneurs can form their ideal career mashup, as she calls it. Connie's here now to discuss how business owners can cultivate and retain strong employees while still accomplishing personal goals and milestones. Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump in um, to some deeper discussions on this new world of work and some of the key topics from your book, I want to get some background. So you were in research and marketing for over a decade with some big corporations, General Mills, AOL, to name a couple. Why did you decide to leave that corporate world? What was going on? I made a pivot because the role that I was in, and I thought moving up that corporate ladder and achieving a certain title and responsibility was what success would be. And I quickly learned that it was no longer a fit in terms of the life that I wanted to lead, in terms of the contribution I wanted to provide. Uh, Ultimately, I realized that if I continued down that path, I wouldn't achieve a level of growth and fulfillment, happiness and contentment that I was looking for. And so in light of that, I decided to make a pivot out of corporate. Now, I can relate to so many women during the Great Resignation who were stressed out and challenged with trying to juggle it all. And they were in a work environment that was toxic or one that wasn't as supportive and flexible to their needs. That was very much me. I was in an environment where it was a tech company. Um, It wasn't the healthiest work environment. I was commuting several hours a day. My entire team was actually virtual. So I was trying to juggle all of this, and my children were two and five. At some point, you realize that it's incredibly difficult in the current construct to be successful because you want to be successful in all facets of your life. And in that environment, I think that's that's been the case, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but even still now that you were forced to compartmentalize your work life and your home life and who you are at work and who you are at home. And I knew I just couldn't do that anymore. So that was really the trigger. Did you have clarity as to what you wanted to do next? Were you nervous? Had you set yourself up financially for this kind of pivot? I didn't have full clarity. Well, I had clarity in that I was going to pursue an independent path in the near term. I had always thought about that, wasn't sure when, but in light of the situation, I didn't see that moving to another full-time role was going to be the right next move. So I committed to 
that path of pursuing independence. Was I scared? <laughs> Absolutely. I think so many people, when you decide to do something different and unknown, there's an incredible amount of fear involved in that because you've never done it before. There isn't necessarily a roadmap. As much as you hear about it, your emotions get into play. In terms of a roadmap, fortunately, I knew of several other people that I had worked with in my past life and close friends that have chosen an independent path or maybe they pursued their own business. So I knew there were people that I could talk to. Did I know the exact steps? No. <laughs> Did I know the first thing I had to do was get out there and start talking to people and let people know what was up with me and share what I was looking for next? Yes. However, I'm not a person who is all about saying, hey, look, this is what I need right now. It's not about I, I, I. I wanted to make sure these conversations were very much one of a mutual value exchange and see where I could be helpful. So that path of networking, relationship development, ironically, in that sense, was new. I'm extroverted. I always love meeting people. I love to provide insights and give, but it is a bit different when you need to go out there and identify opportunities for yourself. So all of that is a learning experience, and it does take a lot of courage and belief in yourself that you can do that. So, you know, fast forward a little bit. You're now a future of work expert. You are an executive consultant. You're a strategist. You're also an author. And this book that you've written, Building the Business of You, talks a lot about not only your thesis with the future of work going forward, but a lot of the book is really rooted in your own personal experience. Is that how you see it? It is rooted in my own personal experience, but that's not I why I wrote the book. Funny enough, it wasn't until I actually finished it that I realized, wait, this helps explain the path that I took. Mm -hmm. The intent was to really provide a data-driven summarization of why so many people have chosen a nonlinear route somewhat of an unconventional route. And that seems to be more and more of the norm these days. And I wanted to provide the rationale as to why and why careers were fundamentally changing because I was seeing that people were pursuing a different definition of what they wanted out of their life. Success was being fundamentally redefined. And they weren't taking that very narrow, linear, sequential, rigid approach to achieving it. I knew many people were struggling in finding that support and career development. And I looked at how those the, the investment in people was declining over time. So it was a desire to really get to the why, because I could relate to so many others who had felt stuck and weren't really sure what they were looking to do, but they all knew they wanted to do something more. So- as you mentioned, careers are changing, success is being redefined. Let's zoom out before we zoom back in again. So what are some of the macro trends that you are seeing, not only through your experience, but through your own research um, in terms of the this new world of work, let's say that we're in? Sure. Well, I alluded to some of that, but there's really been this evolution from a world that's been again, more siloed, much more narrow, sequential, very rigid, and conformist. 
I think many people can relate to the fact that we used to be defined by our roles in a company and the company worked for. There was an element of, you know, pedigree, <laughs> prestige because of what you did and who you did it for. And even the way that you did it, because the approach that was taken was one more like a kind of factory line. One group had one piece and gave it to another, gave it to another, and then eventually it all kind of came together. But now we're in a world where it's much more collaborative. It's about breadth. It's agile, multimodal, multidimensional. In the end, it's about individual agency. People want to express their whole talents. We also see that there's been this shift towards convergence, where we're in a world where it's about and and not or. How many of you experienced, you know, in your careers at some point where they've indicated you need to pick this or that? Focus on exactly one lane all the time. The reality is that we have lots of interests. And what we're seeing is about integrating all those interests together. You know, we know that there is this integration of work and life, personal and professional, purpose and profit, digital and physical. So how do we bring that together in a way that really lets us be us? And I talked about this other one. People are redefining what they want and need. It's really about being better, doing better, and finding balance. So we can bring our whole selves to work because we now see there's an acknowledgement that when you can be you, you'll perform better in all aspects of your life. Let's start with employers. So this shift toward, let's say, agile, multimodal, this shift toward breadth, how do employers begin to navigate this new world in terms of attracting talent, retaining talent, building company culture? Agility is something that all organizations have to achieve, right? To uh, adapt to the speed of business. If you think about the individual and they are constantly wanting to learn and grow and develop because flexibility is key for them. Um, they are looking for ongoing skill development, again, which is another trend. Their attitudes are different because they're looking at integration. Well, one is about understanding what are their goals? What are they looking to do in their professional life and how is that tied to their personal life. It's it's getting to that level of alignment. You see that actually being discussed, that em employees or workers, I would like to say, versus just employees, because the talent is not just full-time, part-time anymore. It's, it's much more broad than that. But they're looking to align their own personal values and the difference they want to make with the company. So when you can work towards that, ensuring that there is clarity on what you're, you're moving towards together, that's one. But to achieve that level of agility means that both parties need to have this mindset, this growth mindset, one where it's about experimentation, it's about always evolving, it's about testing, learning, and iterating. It is finding an opportunity to take an idea or take an approach, starting small and optimizing it over time. In the past, it's been very much about this big bang approach. We had to have everything perfect. That doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So when you think about how to approach that with 
teams, with people development, with just about anything. I mean, you're constantly building a product. You're building an experience. And if you're in a world of agile, as you you well know, agile development happens at all levels and within the organization with people. I'm chatting with Connie Steele, entrepreneur and author of Building the Business of You. I hope you're enjoying our conversation. If you haven't yet, download, subscribe, or follow Shopify Masters wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review or your feedback. It certainly helps our audience discover what we're doing here. I want to ask you about sort of remote work versus hybrid versus in-person learning. Some of what you've already talked about, these skills, networking, relationship building, being able to influence others. These seem to me like very soft skills that folks will need to have in terms of the next five or 10 years. What are you seeing in terms of your research related to what skills are going to be in demand? And the reason I ask you that is because how do we navigate, you know, the skill development piece, the skills that we want to have going forward in order to be successful and square that with building a culture when we're all remote, for example, in a lot of cases. So in terms of those skills that are going to be really important, those soft skills, one that we've honed in on, and that's in the book, is emotional intelligence, EQ. So there's two components to that. Um, emotional intelligence 2.0 by Travis Bradbury is a great book for those. But understanding, you know, social competence, social awareness, like those around you, but your own personal competence and personal awareness. It's knowing how to read people. And why is that important? Because whether you are in person or whether you are in a hybrid situation, understanding people's body language, their tone of voice, their tempo, you have to start putting together all those different pieces to connect what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how they're acting, what's motivating them. So you in turn can then proactively or reactively steer the situation or the outcomes that you're looking for in the work that you're doing. And also it helps you build that bond with someone because you're able to understand where they may be coming from. You're also connected with what you need. But I'd say that's one of the most important aspects of it. And in addition to that, when you have that emotional intelligence, then it's translating into how to best communicate with that person such that they understand clearly what your intentions are in, in the most positive light, obviously, such that you can work forward together. The reason I'm so curious about that is because I would think, you know, if you're a Gen Zer or if you're a millennial and you want to be able to build up a skill set that's going to be in demand, yet your organization is going hybrid or remote, how can you focus on that? How can you nurture those skills? Well, one, to nurture those skills, it's certainly helpful if you have a mentor or a sponsor to teach you those important aspects to navigate a culture effectively. Mm. That's not always as easy. I recognize that. But for those who do, that's incredibly valuable. And we actually found that in our research that one of the key levers or this dimension of planning, as we like to call it, is one of the biggest drivers in helping people create that progress that they're looking for. So when we talk about 
what has the greatest impact on satisfaction with career progress and being able to move forward in the way you want planning and planning is composed of having a clear sense of what your goals are and what you want to do and obviously the roadmap to get there but it's the people it's that village of support who can guide you along the way who can provide you that context and the insights in order to get you to where you want to go but tactically how do you start to build some of those skills well one thing is if you think about a conversation that you just had with someone, pause for a second, understand if the conversation resulted in the outcome that you are looking for, start to dissect why or why not. What was said, what wasn't said, and if there was conflict, for example, Try to think about what could be going on in the other person's world that could be impacting the way that they are engaging with you. It may not have anything to do with you per se. It actually may have everything to do with the specific role and responsibilities and pressures that they're currently facing, which is causing them to react in a particular way. So what you have to do, just like if you're doing strategy development for any project and you're trying to look at the whole picture, all of those parameters that can impact the outcome of a project you have, think about it for a person. Mm. An individual is dealing with a lot of different dynamics in their life. So start to take a more expansive view. Let's take it from a lens of a leader and you're trying to best manage your team. What can be really helpful for you is start to gauge and assess the tone and tempo of the way that your team members or your employees communicate with you. There's inevitably a pattern with each and every person, their style, um, their mode of communication, how frequently and how quickly they respond to you, start logging that. But also make sure you understand what's going on in their personal life. Get to know them as people in addition to the roles that they have and the pressures that they might be facing. Again, understand that whole picture. Connie, let's dive into some of your research and some stats. I love stats. Let's chat about some. So employees, let's shift to the employee side for a moment. Employees want more than just money and salary. That seems very obvious. But what we don't understand is what really motivates people beyond a steady income. But you've done the research, right? You've put it out there. So a couple stats I'll throw at you and then I'd love you to comment. 28% have a top priority of doing work that they consider meaningful. 25% prioritize being in a field where they can channel passion. So beyond money, we know passion and meaningful work are big factors here. What else have you seen in your research? What motivates employees? One thing that seems so simple, but doesn't always happen, always having interesting work. (laughs) When we actually looked at these hidden relationships between the goals that people have, the career goals, and what connects or or is related to satisfaction with career progress, one of the highest things is just having work that's interesting. People always want to be challenged. We have statistics that indicate that over 70% of people want to be constantly building up their skills, whether it's in their field or outside of their field. 
they have the opportunity and optionality to be constantly learning now in light of the web. What's important is that employers, leaders, be mindful of that and spot the trends and see within their team, are there ways that they can constantly be stretching them, going for breadth of skills, not just depth. And how many of us have been in a job that at some point we get bored? We want more. Challenge us in something else or we proactively ask for opportunities to maybe do a cross-functional role or take on a different project or work with a different team because we personally see the benefits of this cross-pollination of skills because it may enable us to pivot into a different direction or open up new worlds of opportunity that we wouldn't even have thought of. When it comes to those stats about meaning and passion, so what does meaning actually mean? I think that's probably important to just yeah. How do we how do we how do we define meaningful work? Right. Well, so meaningful work obviously is going to be different for each person, but how do you actually tap into that? This gets back to a point I made earlier, is that workers are looking to align with companies that have shared values and have a shared purpose, and they believe in their mission and ultimately the vision of the company. And that vision of the company isn't just to be the leader of X, Y, and Z industry, but that vision is to have some social impact because doing good in the world is really important for people. They recognize that just making money isn't enough with everything that's going on in the world today. They need to be active. They they want to deliver some form of contribution into the world. Because there's now this recognition that contributing positively creates a level of fulfillment. I love this idea of kind of amalgamating personal life and professional life because it kind of flies against what we've heard in the past, which is, you know, it's not personal, it's just, it's just business. It, it feels like that philosophy is kind of old-natured and has come and gone. And your research really highlights a lot of this. So uh, I just want to dive into another statistic here. These are life goals that people have, percentage ranked as a top three priority in life. So uh, there are many, many life goals that folks have, many priorities, obviously, but here are the biggest ones. I just want to rhyme off a few that are top of the list here. Number one, spending enough time with one's family. That is the number one life goal most of your respondents have. Number two, leading a fulfilling life. Number three, getting the most out of life. Number four, helping others. Number five, ensuring your life has the purpose. Number six, creating wealth. Number seven, continual personal growth. I mean, creating wealth is on the list, but it's, it's quite far down, uh, despite what listeners might believe motivates folks. So say more about your research here. Well, I, I think so many people in light of what's happened over the past couple of years realize that there's more to life than just money. We all have somewhat faced our own mortality and have been reflective of what is it that we really want to get out of our life? What is it that we really want to do? What matters? It's the people that matter in our life. It is the experiences we have 
that give us that sense of joy that we're looking for. Your point earlier about work and life being integrated, we learned that over 60% have said work and career are integrated with their personal life. I think another point to that is that I also see the difference in generations knowing that those that are boomers and I'm a Gen Xer, I grew up with work and life being separated and siloed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that shifted as I shifted through my life stage and 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 life transitions. Let's let's admit this, right? Your work transitions are correlated with your life transitions. A lot of times, you can't really separate them. But the two younger generations have always seen work and life as integrated, and with them moving towards being really a majority of the workforce in the next decade or so, this mindset of ensuring that you're looking at both and giving yourself the opportunity to lead the life that you want and see how works and work fits into it is going to be pretty critical. So again, with these goals, it's that passion and purpose, not just pay. People want to obviously earn a steady income. But most people understand that money doesn't create happiness. And you're just seeing that reflected in the data. Another stat I want to throw at you, 64% of millennials have a side hustle. That number is a whopping 70% for Gen Zers. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How do employers think about it if they're concerned with this particular statistic and have a priority of, say, building long-term loyalty company culture where folks are very narrowly focused on their role? Um, is this something they simply have to accept? What do you think? I think it's something we have to accept. It's a good thing because if we also take a step back and understand why it's become much more pervasive, and particularly among the millennial generation, that during that great recession, they came out of school doing all the right things, going to college you know, and, and doing well in school and trying to find those opportunities, but they couldn't. So they had to find a different way to create a career in order to create the living that they wanted. And they had to de-risk their situation. So with the advent of technology or, or the continued growth of technology and the optionality that's at play, they've been able to experiment and see different ways to build very interesting opportunities for themselves in a way that also leverages their passions and interests. It's a default because if you think about it, they've been growing up with very much an entrepreneurial mindset as a result of technology and Gen Z even more so. So having a side hustle to try different things is a bit of a default because they can go right now and explore any particular area of interest they might have, pay for a course, whether it's free or not, see if it's something that really um pulls at their heartstrings and see if they could then learn how to monetize it. So I think it's something that is a permanent thing. I see it as a good thing because ultimately it is about ensuring that you are creating um, a way to have a sustainable career. You're trying to de-risk all those situations in which being singly sourced 
is not something they know that can ensure sort of that long-term and and secure path anymore. The implication to employers. I think it's actually something that employers could leverage as a benefit to them. When you have an employee that actually has other interests outside of work, how can you actually pull that into the forefront and see that they are quite a versatile member of the team? So for example, maybe a person that you have on your team is a writer, but it so happens that they do some design work outside of this full-time job. They just have a passion for design. Well, if you learn about that, inevitably there are projects and initiatives that could blend those two together. Why wouldn't you pull that into your team and leverage that skill set? You know, what you're saying makes total sense to me. But I would assume that a lot of these hiring managers actually are reluctant to invest in their employees that have side hustles because they're concerned that so-and-so is just going to leave in two years to pursue writing or pursue design independently. Is that what you're seeing? Or have hiring managers begun to understand this notion or this thesis that you're putting forward? I think some do, and I think some don't. I don't know if there's really a a definitive um, pull towards one and the other quite yet. But the reality is that they may leave anyway. So if we know that the average tenure is not five years, it's one and a half, two years, people are inevitably looking at other avenues all the time. If you're able to leverage an existing talent that they might not be employing in your company, you actually have a greater likelihood for them to be engaged and likely wanting to stay because then what you're doing is co-creating a role together. At the end of the day, what worker doesn't want to really bring all their different talents to a potential project? Because what's great is that this breadth of experience enables them to think much more creatively about solving a problem. Isn't what this is about? Is leveraging that human ingenuity to solve problems that we have in the company to subsequently grow the business in a positive direction? In my mind, why wouldn't you leverage that? You know, we were seeing the devaluing of generalists uh, the past five or 10 years, let's say. And, you know, specialists were kind of in demand. You had to be narrowly focused on one thing, on one skill set, et cetera, uh, and becoming sort of the best in your little niche. Um, But it seems to me, just listening to you, chat in this episode, it seems to me that we're moving away from specialists. And it sounds to me like generalists are going to be much more in demand going forward. Is that how you'd see it? I see it as what's going to be valuable is having this utility player. Mm. One, let's keep in mind that there is still a labor shortage. You're seeing this trend towards companies uh, not demanding or or putting that specific criteria of a college degree, for example. They're looking at just sort of the breadth of skills of someone, whether they have the aptitude to do it. So that's important first and foremost to consider because that whole detailed check the box type of requirements is starting to soften. The other piece, why this utility player I think is really valuable, this also ties to the trend that we heard early in the year, quiet hiring. So if you're not able to hire brand new people, so it's the acquisition of talent, attracting brand new talent and bring them into your company, 
you're going to need to see who within your company has those skills that could fill those gaps. And then another key point is that there are so many new jobs that will be created in five or 10 years that we don't even know yet, given the continual proliferation of different technologies. And those technologies are hybridizations of other ones, right? There's not really a pure play. It is one technology combined with another technology combined with another one coming together to solve a particular problem. So for someone who has some expertise in each of them because he's played in them, they're actually pretty well positioned because they understand the different aspects of it. Or someone who's had, honestly, different roles. Somebody who is a writer, a designer, who likes to do some coding and web design, that seems to be getting the skills that you need anyway to produce something at this point versus hiring somebody in each independent function because they can look at things in totality. Now, whether or not a, a organization chooses to hire them separately, but the fact that you have someone who understands the connective tissue between them, because let's face it, things are now collaborative in the way that we have to work. It's teams. It's not you give me your piece, you give me your piece. Eventually, it all comes together. We all have to work together to bring it to life. Connie, I love your idea of a portfolio career. I love the way you describe that. To me, it just makes intuitive sense. You had mentioned earlier in the episode about you know Gen Zers and millennials sort of de-risking situations, de-risking their careers coming out of the last recession because they had to. But you know, when we look at a portfolio of stocks, we look at a portfolio of investments, we are trying to de-risk our investment portfolio, right? We want to be well diversified. Yet historically in our career paths, we've not been that way. We've done the opposite. We've sort of been very singularly focused. And now I think for the first time, at least, you know, you highlighted in your work, you highlighted in the book, this idea of creating a portfolio career where one is hedged such that if, you know, one job gets lost or they lose this side hustle or whatever, they have other interests, they have other potential revenue streams going on. So I just think that the strategy is so compelling in terms of the future of work and what young people should be thinking about. 100%. And the term that I also like to add on to that is what I talk about in the book is that the career of the future is what I call the career mashup. It mm. is that integration, that combination of skills, roles, interests, hobbies, experiences, passions, education into something that lets you really be your whole self. And one form absolutely is that portfolio career because it enables you to de-risk um, those situations where inevitably if you lose that one full-time job, there's other things that you can do to make up for it. But another kind of career mashup, as I like to call it, is the one where it's a super job, where you could have that one primary role, but you're actually doing a lot of different things. So you are a bit of a writer, a bit of a designer, a bit of a coder, so many just different facets. Because what it could do is open up opportunities within the company to move laterally, maybe to move upward, but because you have diversified your skills, you've also had the benefit of 
likely working with different functional groups within an organization, not just be very narrowed. It gives you opportunity to network and learn what else you could do and understand where there could be gaps to be filled. Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears and just ask you to future pace for a moment. So we are sitting here February 2023. We're in a relatively high interest rate environment. I say relatively because Historically, if you look back many decades, <laughs> we are still in a relatively low interest rate environment. But with respect to what we've been used to, yes, uh, interest rates are high. We've seen layoffs primarily in the tech sector. At the same time, we're seeing strong job numbers uh, come out of the U.S. In, in, in recent weeks. So things are kind of a little unpredictable, let's say. So what are you seeing? What can founders expect in terms of the coming months? in terms of hiring, in terms of employment numbers, in terms of building their teams. And on the flip side, what do you think folks that are out there looking for gigs should expect in 2023? So in terms of hiring for employers, I believe it's still going to be a strong market for particular industries because of that shortage. They are looking to attract incredible tech talent, for example, and bring them over into traditional industries in which it's never been much of an interest. So government and manufacturing, which is so needed, even insurance for that matter, very old, staid type of industries that need a disruption and know they are being disrupted in order to keep that pace you're still going to have uh, a strong market and hopefully you're going to be able to see it. To me, it's almost this redistribution of the talent first and foremost. When it comes to the individual looking mm -hmm. for those opportunities, mm -hmm. much of it in terms of a trend is that person needing to build the business of themselves. It's going to be very important for you to define who you are, the value that you bring and why in your profiles, in your work and showcase all of them because it's about differentiating you from someone else. And what's interesting to see is that you've inevitably seen this shift on LinkedIn where people are not defining themselves by the one uh, role anymore. They are highlighting all the breadth of talents that they have, which is showcasing really different opportunities that they could fit into. Connie, thanks so much for all of these insights. Thanks so much for being here with me. That's Connie Steele, author of Building the Business of You. Where else can listeners find out more about you? Well, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. So Connie Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E, -E -E, or you can check out my website and learn about me there, ConnieWSteele.com. Connie, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for joining us on Shopify Masters. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Gottlieb is our supervising producer, and I'm Adam Levinter. We will see you next time.